Hey all, welcome to episode 8 of Not Your Average Sunday School Stories. Today we have a good one uh, as we have a newbie on the mic and a uh, good old Pastor John as well. And we're going to get out of the Abraham mini-series and dive into the lion's den. So uh, here we go. Hey all it's Martin here for Not Your Average Sunday School Stories. We're on episode 8, and like I mentioned in the beginning here, uh, we have a newbie on the mic. Uh, it's uh, actually my dad, Dan Listener, in here today, as well as Pastor John coming back again. Uh, he's a staple on here by now. Well, but, you uh, bought me coffee, so I figured it was fair. The only way to get you in here at 7 in the morning, as we are here, uh, at Trojan City Studios here in Troy, Ohio. So look him up if you ever need anything. Uh, Seth does an amazing job with us, including being on the mic for us last week. So really appreciate everything that he does today. Uh, I heard he's going to sing most of Hey Jude later. We'll have to stick around for that. That's going to be good. Even after playing last night, uh, shutting down the show, he's in first thing this morning to help us out. So a big shout out to Seth again. Uh, Today we're going to get out of the Abraham mini-series. If you want any more information on Abraham, just look up Stillwater Church. On Facebook, Pastor John's been going over it for five, six, Ever. seven, eight years, weeks. Years. Um, I think it was like six sermons, like, <laughs> maybe. And he did a good job uh, with it. So if you want more on Abraham, check him out. Uh, today we're going to dive, like I mentioned, into the lion's den uh, with Daniel, a story that you've probably heard before. And uh, as we do on this podcast, we're going to try to dive deeper into it, not just in a Bible study type of way, but kind of a way of how you can find salvation in these uh, Bible school stories and and how you can find Jesus, because the Bible is truly connected in that way as we go. So as tradition, we're going to dive into the beginner's Bible and learn what you have already heard, which is how you spend the night with lions. I'm ready. Which is what it's I'm ready. I'd like some survival tips. It's a derivative of Daniel chapter 6, and it goes something like this. God blessed Daniel. He made Daniel very wise. The king planned to make Daniel the ruler of all the land. Now the other wise men were jealous, and they tried to find something bad about Daniel. But Daniel was a good man. He always prayed to God, and he always obeyed God. The men could not find anything bad, so they made a plan. They went to the king, saying, Let's make a new law. They say that everyone has to pray for you, and if they don't, we'll throw them into the lion's den. Sounded like a good idea to the king, so he made it a new law. Daniel heard about the new law, but he went to his room and prayed anyway. Now the men knew Daniel would pray. They saw him and then took him to the king, saying, Let's throw Daniel into the lion's den. Hang hang on a second. Did did that say pray for you? Are we going too fast? Well, I just want to make sure. Uh, They knew that Daniel would pray. Yeah, but before that. Uh, He went to his room and prayed anyway. Yeah, I got that. What, what What did those guys want? What did the king say everyone had to do? Uh, Pray to the king and nobody else. To the king or for the king? Let's say everyone has to pray to you. Oh, to you. To you. I was like, because that's really mean of Daniel to not pray for the king. Yeah. No, pray to the king. I got you. To the king. That makes sense. Okay, let's pick it back up here. The king was sorry. Yeah. He liked Daniel. He was sorry. But he couldn't change the law. The men's plan had worked, and they threw Daniel 
into the lions. The next morning, the king got up early and he ran to the den, saying, Daniel, did God save you? Yes, king, said Daniel. God sent an angel to close the lion's mouth. The king was happy. He took Daniel out of the den, for God had saved him. The end. Ah, happy music. And in true Jonah fashion, they left out the last bit. The last, the... (laughs) You know, that that does seem to be a reoccurring theme in (laughs) pop culture Christianity. Get the good part, leave out the important part. Yeah, the part that is at all sketchy, well, this doesn't fit with my thinking. I'm just going to edit that part out. (laughs) It's also written for children. So I don't like the idea of people getting chewed up. Well, that's a good point. For the kids. So get him out. The kids are happy. Everybody's happy. But isn't it important to leave the other stuff in? That's why we're here. That's it. It's almost like this is the maturing of the kids into the adults right here. Yeah, if you're only reading the story as a child, you are really missing out on these Bible stories because – they're not children's stories. Mm-hmm. They can be taught to children, but that's not what they are. And so I think we, we really do ourselves a disservice by thinking of them as children's stories. Like, I mean, I love a talking vegetable as much as the next guy, but like there is a little bit more, a lot more to some of these stories. And some of it's scary, like being devoured by lions. And I hope I don't get any hate mail for this, but a tomato is a fruit. <laughs> I'm I'm just he tells a good tale I'm just saying anyway um, now if we uh, go into the scripture which is where we like to get most of our information on this podcast um, with that so uh, it does kind of mirror the children's story as we kind of set the scene here Uh, the scripture goes in chapter 6 of Daniel that it pleased uh, Darius sure Darius uh, to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom, and over them three high officials, of whom Daniel was one. Mm. So Daniel was a pretty good guy. Said God blessed Daniel and made him very wise. Uh, as far as that goes, the king's plan to set him over the entire kingdom, this is in verse 3, because he had distinguished himself above the others. So if you read the story from a couple different uh, translations, it always says that Daniel was a great man. He shined above to others. He had distinguished himself. My first question to you guys would be, what made Daniel such a good guy? Hmm. What made him be distinguished above these other people? Was he just smarter? Was he a harder worker? I mean, Dan, you were there. Do you remember? <laughs> I was pretty young, <laughs> as was Daniel when he was... Uh, captured when Israel was captured he was only like 15 years old he apparently had had some teaching in his first 15 years and for some reason as a what a sophomore in high school he was sold out to God he was faithful he was loyal and he was going to do whatever God wanted him to do regardless of his situation I don't know how or why I don't know if that answers the question but that's the kind of person he was and that apparently reflected in his other work, such as one of the three top commissioners. I don't know who the other two guys were. Daniel was a Jew. I don't know who the other two guys were or mm. what they were. Uh, yeah, I don't know that either. I don't know that it says. The, the idea that a person who was taken to Babylon really at the, uh, 
I mean, he'd lost everything. He'd lost his family. He'd lost his place in his home. Um, the Israeli nation ceased existing when the Babylonian Empire came into power. And I think that would result in a lot of bitterness as a young man, like to lose your national identity, to watch you know, your king carted off in chains. That, that, that has to have stirred up a lot of, of anger in, in people and, and the way you react to when things don't go your way or when the election that you wanted didn't happen or when your particular this or that didn't pan out. Uh, the way that we're taught to react to this is uh, with like a holy anger. And Daniel treads a completely different path. Daniel follows the advice of the prophet Jeremiah. And in one of the most often quoted passages in Scripture, Jeremiah 29, uh, where it says, you know, I, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Uh, the part that really I, I think is life-changing to me happens before that. And it starts in about verse uh, verse 4. And it says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to all the exiles who I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. And so this is advice for the exiles in this this other kingdom. How do you live a godly life when you're not at home, when you're in a in a pagan nation? And he says, build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Uh, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters and multiply there. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And I think that, that that's not natural to pray for your oppressor, to serve people who don't love you back. And Daniel embraces this, and, and throughout the whole story of his life, um, this is what he's doing. This is the path of resistance uh, to this empire that, that he embraces. And, and I think as a Christian, I love that. This, it's not violent at all. It's to pray for the good of wherever you are, that we don't uh, distinguish between that's my candidate or that's not, or this is my country and that's not. We, we're to be loving and compassionate, living as exiles in a world of sin. And so I, you have to wonder, like, Daniel had to have broken dreams, don't you think, Dan? Like, the, the life that he had hoped to have was gone. And instead, God opened up entire other dimensions of, of life for him. So, Marty, I think we very effectively skirted your question. False. We know exactly True. that usually Maybe. happens. Yeah. Around, we yeah. know exactly what Daniel was supposed to do. The question was, why did he do it? How did he do it? Why was he so much better at doing it than anybody else? Mm-hmm. I, I know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't always do it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's true for just about everybody. But for Daniel, he's what was in his brain, what was in his mm-hmm. heart that caused him to stay faithful to his God? Remember, he was 15 years old when he was captured, when Israel was captured. Mm-hmm. I would expect a, a more mature guy to maybe be able to withstand a storm like that in his life. But this kid was 15 years old, and yet from day one, he was very loyal to his God. He knew what he was supposed to do. He, he had had that training, and he decided to do it. That's intriguing to me because mm-hmm. I don't always do that. 
And you're much more mature than 15. Two shots at dad's age already. That's You know what they say. <laughs> Growing old is mandatory. Growing up is optional. <laughs> <laughs> so <clears throat> if we go to verse 4 here, it says the high officials, the other guys that we were talking about there, and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could not. They find no grounds for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and had no error or fault that was found in him. My question is, does that indicate that Daniel was sinless? No, I don't think so. It means he was really good at what he was doing. This isn't somebody who's working behind the scenes to bring down the empire. Uh, This is somebody who's following Jeremiah's advice. He's praying for the nation where he's living. At this time, it's switched to Persia. Uh, but he's, he's a trustworthy person. But it is unique. Daniel does not have obvious sins pointed out in his story. And that's not because he doesn't have sins. The Bible is very clear that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But I think instead it's because the Bible is going to draw a picture here using the life of Daniel that's going to take us all the way back to the book of Genesis. Daniel symbolizes, in a way, a tree of life, being godly, respecting God, desiring the things of God. Wherever Daniel goes, there's life. There's goodness. There's prosperity. Um, And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are of the same uh, picture that's there where even when you try to burn them alive in the ovens, uh, they're, they're fine. God is there with them. And there's this idea that what is happening to them is not normal. It's not because they were such sinless people. Uh, they had sin. They, they do. But the author purposefully doesn't talk about it, because not because he's trying to make you think he's sinless, but because he's trying to draw a distinction in what God is doing in Daniel's life. The only other person other than Jesus that we see in Scripture like this is Joseph. And, and again, Joseph isn't a sinless person, but it's because of that picture of trying to show you that these men's lives are imaging God. And that's what we're made to do. God made us to be his image on the earth. That It's our job to show what God is like. And so if I was Daniel, I'd be pretty pleased with the press that, that he gets here in Scripture because, like you compare him to David, for instance, who also is a godly man. And David's flaws are all pointed out because the authors are doing something different uh, in the text. And so the Holy Spirit wanted it written this way. And so rather, I think, than and, I, and I've been guilty of this just to try to nitpick and figure out what's going on, but rather than look for what isn't there, ask, you know, why is it written this way? Because the Bible is clear he's a sinner. Everybody is. And if I was a young boy and sold, you know, really and taken away like that, I, I think I'd grumble along the way. Uh, there are bound to have been people who upset him or they took his name away. Uh, there's, there's loads of, of opportunities to fail. And I've no doubt that he did. But the thing that you notice with Daniel is at no point in this story does he cease being God's man. He he never stops looking to the God of Israel as his God. 
even when they take his name away, he still is a follower of the Lord God of Jerusalem, of Israel. And you're going to see that here in the story. Uh, Darius, the, the ruler here, that, that word uh, is a generic word. It just means Lord or, or ruler. Uh, it, it may or may not have been this guy's name. We, there's not a historical character that this definitely corresponds to. Um, most likely, I've always thought this was the ruler of Babylon um, under the massive empire of Persia. They were awesome at uh, subdividing labor and making sure that everything got done in the right way. And so we have a tendency to read these words and think a particular way. Uh, but I think you can really get off the beaten path when you start wondering about Persian politics and not to see Daniel is in this world, but not of it. He is a loyal uh, follower of the kingdom of God living in exile. So I think to summarize that, you're saying, John, that, that you don't have to be sinless to be a godly man. No. No, although I would love to be sinless. I think. And if I can't be sinless, I'd like to sin less. Uh, but it's, you, you look at like Abraham. Abraham that we just, you know, he's a mess. Like he's, he's genuinely a bad person. But at no point in his life do you ever wonder, I wonder which other God Abraham's going to chase after. He course corrects. And in, if I could say something about myself or my church, I think the more people like that we have, the better off we are. Not that are sinless, because I don't know any sinless people, but that have a desire just to, I want God. When I fail, I confess my sin. And I want to pursue and get closer to him. And, uh, and I think you see that really well with Daniel and with Abraham and a bunch of others. I think Jesus said it pretty well when he was on the on the mountain. He said, uh, "Blessed are those, blessed are the poor in spirit, for those is the, theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, because mm. they will be filled." That's a picture of a godly man. Everybody who's loving what Dan just said, remember he's preaching at my church in a week and a half <laughs> or two weeks. Yeah, so you can come and hear him in real life. Dan is one of the he's our head deacon at our church and just a real godly guy. He did mess up raising his children and put out somebody there like Martin, but every every godly man deserves at least one failure in his life, and Martin takes that position. Is that you're Glad, not even going to stand up for yourself? Glad, gladly, take no. It. Yeah, Martin's gladly a great guy too. Dan is all around good, but I I attribute that to Kathy more than Dan. I think. <laughs> Shout out, mom. I can't argue with that, but I am awful proud to see this boy sitting here in this studio and doing what he's doing. Yeah, I'm trying to soon, give you a hard time. As soon as we turn the mic off, he can argue that. But right, right now, he's. That So my follow-up question to the sinless question is, is there an implication that we need to be sinless for God to perform the miracles in our life, like shutting the lion's mouth? If you look at it, and I remember Pastor Nick talking about uh, David and Goliath, about where do you put yourself in the story? And most people go straight to David, like I'm slaying my, my giants. But I, I take that kind of to heart with this one, and I, I don't put myself in Daniel's shoes in this story, at least very often. So... It's hard for me because, you know, I feel like everybody struggles with this, too. Like, why did that person get something that I didn't, right? Mm. What makes him distinguish? What makes him better off? So you kind of put yourself more in the guys that are scheming against Daniel. At least I would think most people would. And, and when did they sin? Right. And so what? why is it that God uses them for such a terrible fate? As oh, we that's, read here that's in the interesting to me. So you you would think that the— 
the other politicians are are who you identify with. I I would think so. I mean, not that I would try to kill somebody because they got a promotion over me, which is kind of what happens here. But wow, okay. The the natural human effect is not what Daniel does, mm. right? You mentioned it earlier. Like if your if your candidate loses, you don't say, "I pray for the guy that won because." He won for a reason, or mm-hmm. I, I pray for the team that beat my team because I love those people as much as I love my team. Like that's not the natural right. instinct. That's right. So when you put yourself in the story as the other guys mm-hmm. that are scheming against him, it's kind of a scary story because if you haven't oh, read yeah. the end of the story, we'll tell you what happens to the other guys uh, in pretty succinct fashion on there. So. That's where the first question comes back up is what made Daniel so distinguished? You know, what, what do we need to be doing to be more like Daniel and less like the other guys? You know, I don't want to be accused of dodging your question, so I'm going to straight up tell you. The thing that makes Daniel special is loyal love. It's chesed. It's his loyalty and his love for God that defines what they are, and he is. The other guys uh, and the, those other politicians, what defines them is their loyal love for themselves. And and so I, I think if I was going to recommend you read this story, and I will, you should read this story, place yourself in the king's chair or Darius. It's a generic word. It's it's not probably his name. I guess it could have been, but it, it's, it's a catch-all. Sit there and decide between good and evil. Can you determine which of these is right and which of these is wrong. When somebody uh, makes your ego inflate a little bit and they're telling you what you want to hear, are you able to tell the difference between good advice and bad advice? Uh, so I, I, you, can, you can associate with the, with the politicians if you want, but I think you're, I think you're being too hard on yourself. No, I'm not there, saying Martin. I want to associate with I'm you. saying you're doing all right. But no, God doesn't require sinless perfection for God to be God. He's able to split the sea even if the Egyptians are coming, even if the Israelites aren't perfect people. Jesus is able to feed the 5,000 even if the worst sinner in Israel is sitting out in the crowd. He's able to... Uh, make the wine at the wedding, uh, no matter how he feels about the bride or the groom. Uh, God's power is going to be shown here. And he does it through somebody who is his man. He's loyal to God. And so then we have to decide, you know, should I be like Daniel? Absolutely, you should be like Daniel. But I've never been asked to go sit in a lion's den. Mm -hmm. God has never done any of those things. But I do have to decide between right and wrong all the time. I do have to make decisions that direct my life and other people's lives. And as a dad, you know, my decision, we were just talking about this. I don't want to mess up anyone's life. You know, I don't want my kid at the end of his, you know, graduation to be like, I'm here in spite of that old man. Like, I want to be a blessing. And sometimes you choose wrong. How do I know wisdom when I see it? And the, the books of wisdom are written about that the Bible says that wisdom is a tree of life. And I think the king in this story is a good representation of how difficult it is to understand which is right and which is yeah, right. Yeah, and I think so. You're you're your own king. Like, you make your own decisions. There was a time when your mom and dad were a, a little more aggressive in your life, but now they've turned you loose and you're out there, and you and your wife and, and your kid, you know, you, you're your own thing. You have to decide this for yourself. Will you pursue 
what is good or will you pursue what is wrong? The Bible says there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. You look at Adam and Eve and she looks up in the tree and sees that it's good for food, it's beautiful, a delight to the eyes, and she chooses wrong. And you can rake them over the coals all you want, but you are making the same decisions too. And so Daniel isn't untouchable. He symbolizes God's path in this text. But he was a human just like anybody else. A kid. But but the evil that we see is in these other two guys. Right. Jesus says, when are you guilty of murder? When you stick a sword in a guy's heart? No, it's when you first have a problem with him. Well, these guys had a problem with Daniel because he was excelling and they weren't. That's when the sin started. And it grew and it grew and it grew into what was intended to be murder, essentially. The king, Darius, I almost see him as... As an oaf, <laughs> I almost said something that would be appropriate on the radio. Leave politics out of it. I almost see him. I don't see him as being having to make that choice. He's just presented something that has been disguised as something good. Right. Here's evil, but we make it look like good. And Darius looks at that and he says, "Oh, I see the good. So let's do it." I don't see him as as having to make the decision that could affect Daniel's life. It's these oh, other two guys. You, the you don't see that the king had the ability to choose between right and wrong? I don't think he saw right and wrong. I think all he saw was right. Why? Or good. Because it was disguised. These guys disguised it. Oh, well, sure they did. But you have to be able to tell. Like, the world is filled with people who are selling bad as good. Hmm. So, John, we bought you a cup of coffee this morning, and you drank it. I did. How do you know we didn't put something in it? I trusted you. Oh. Maybe the same way the king yeah. trusted his. Well, and I think savior. he does, and there, there's an abuse of, of the king here. But he, he isn't just some guy. He's the ruler. If, if the president of whatever country comes back and said, look, I got bad advice, so don't blame me, it's not going to fly. You don't get to shirk the responsibility and say, well, it seemed like a good idea at the time, and all I saw was the good and not the bad. Uh, that's, that's every man who's ever cheated on his wife. Like, she was just so beautiful, and the heart wants what the heart wants, and all I was thinking about was the, the good that was, I was going to be uh, pursuing, and it, it just didn't cross my mind, you know, the effect it would have on my children and my wife. You don't get a pass for that. You have to be able to know good from evil. You have to be able to recognize right from wrong because you are made in the image of God. And this is the king of, this is the most powerful man that there is, as far as we know in the story right now. And if he can't tell the difference between right and wrong, the whole world is, is in a shambles. And so there's two politicians and they're being politicians. And I, look, if, if I was to say to you, Martin, these politicians might not be trustworthy. Would that be shocking to you <laughs> that a politician might have an ulterior motive? No. No, no. that's not new. The king, if you're surrounded by yes men, then don't be surprised if they all agree with you. He's living in an echo chamber. I think the, another point, though, that uh, Darius is a Babylonian, right? Not, not necessarily known for their godliness. Well, he's a Persian. A Persian, not not necessarily known for their godliness, but they are known for. They put together one of the greatest empires yeah. ever. 
you don't become the head of the Persian Empire or the, even a, a, a major ruler in the empire because you're related to somebody. They promoted on merit. Th- this isn't a dumb guy. He's tricked. That's true. But in the end, his ego stops him from doing good. There were other gods that were worshipped, and suddenly no, you're not allowed to pray to any god except the king. Every other temple in Babylon should have been saying, I don't know if that's a good idea. Uh, and especially if he's a pagan, uh, he ought to have seen this as dangerous. And I'm not trying to just, what I'm trying to do is to condemn the man. He should have known better. He refuses to do the right thing. And it doesn't take a rocket scientist to to figure out that stealing from the gods is a bad idea. So Darius's heart may have been uh, revealed later on in the in the story, the next morning. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get ahead of you, but yeah, then, Dan, you've got such a good heart, man. Like, you're, you're trying to to just say, no, I I pre-, and I and I love that about you, man. I I, I, I love I, that. I just see I see where the in my mind the, the evil is with these other two guys. Yeah, Darius maybe should have known better. I'll give you that. But the evil is with these other two guys. Well, that's where it's – they're kind of like the snake. They're like the in, snake. In the Eden story. If they're we can, twisty. If we can get rid of this guy, then it'll be better for us. Yeah. So my next point on the Trello board is if you can't beat him, blackmail him. Uh, so I, I was pretty proud of that one. But uh, it goes in with – For those of you guys who don't get the opportunity here, we get lots of dad jokes. Martin holds like a – Comedy Central special before we get started usually, every day. Usually, usually, maybe not seven in the morning like today when we yeah, started. Yeah, I really but, missed that part. But uh, anyway, uh, I want to get into this because you guys have both mentioned how the two other guys, the two other guys. If you look in the children's Bible, there's two other individuals that are listed there. But if you look in verse seven of Daniel chapter six, mm-hmm. uh, actually we'll start in verse six. It says, "Then these high officials and satraps came to an agreement to the king and said to him, O king." Darius live forever. All the high officials of the kingdom and the prefects and the satraps and the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction from whom made a petition to any other god man for 30 days except you, O king. So we keep talking about these two other guys, these two other guys, and that's what I envisioned when I read this story until I got to that verse. And they listed off five or six different titles, and yeah, I assume there's there's more than one in each title. So it wasn't just two guys went to the king behind closed doors and said, hey, let's make this a decree. It was everybody that had any power in this body can you think of coming another, to the king. Can you think of another example in the Bible where just a small group of people was able to incite a large group of people to do something that they really didn't want to do? The crucifixion. Crucify him, yeah. They I mean they're they're singing hallelujah on Sunday and then they're calling for his crucifixion on Friday. I think that the human element in here is and again, these guys are Persians or Babylonians, they're very uh, high on themselves because they have built a an empire that's second to none here at this point in time. And so they're high on themselves. They don't need God, they they got themselves. So it's not too hard in my mind to see how you can coerce even the king to do something. <laughs> like this and if all the rest of them see some kind of merit in it i mean yeah i'll, I'll pray to to, uh, to darius if if it means i'm going to get ahead in my career mm-hmm. sure and I, I think there's a an element here of of morality uh for us as well is something good because everyone says it's good or is there an objective morality 
that's independent of your opinion. Hmm. When the Nazis were tried after the war at the Nuremberg trials, you, you had a lot of people trying to say what we did was legal. We didn't break the laws of Germany. And they were tried, and I think this is absolutely right, there, there was a higher authority, crimes against mankind that they had broken and they were held accountable for when they, when they capture, um, you know, like Eichmann in Argentina and he's taken back to, uh, to Israel to be tried. Uh, nobody was saying, well, you know, it was the law, so it's okay. Like, it, it, there, there comes a point where there, there is a resistance to the worldly system and, and how is it done? That's, that's what Jeremiah was talking about and Daniel was living. If, if the world around you is ungodly, how do you respond? Do you assassinate the leader and set up your own government? Uh, do you just, you know, continually like revolt and rebel? Is it in the path of violence or, or is there another path that is filled with love and compassion of being a blessing, being in the world, but not of the world and, and not because you hate it, but because you love it and you're trying to be a blessing to it. And that's the path that Daniel is walking. These other guys are normal human beings. They're manipulative, they're after their own prosperity, and the thing that they think is going to give them a blessing ends up being their destruction. And, and that's laid out for us in Proverbs, that there is, the end of this road is destruction. Jesus talks about there being a, a straight and a narrow way, and there's also a broad way. And the broad way, which is comfortable, and it, it doesn't lead anywhere good. Am I missing something good out there, Dan? What are you looking at? Just the lights. Oh, I thought maybe Seth was doing handstands or something. So it it leads into the next part of the story, which I think is, is really good because it goes along with what we talked about earlier with Daniel and how bought in he was to this way of life that when you read through the Scripture, the, the people that set the trap knew it was a no-brainer. Mm. It's almost as if... Hours after this is, this decree is set in motion by the king, they're just sitting there waiting for Daniel to go and pray to somebody other than Darius. I like that they gave themselves 30 days to catch him. <laughs> and, and they knew it, which is a funny point if you think about it a little bit farther. But I mean, it, it kind of says to me, you know, like, why wasn't a week long enough like that? Because they really seem to have tried to err on the side of caution. Like, we better make sure we get this guy. And they're making sure that it doesn't look so obvious of what they're doing. So we'll make it 30 days. Yeah, that we'll, kind of makes me chuckle. We'll catch a the first bit. guy on the first day. You <laughs> might catch somebody else on the second or third day. But Yeah, was anybody else even caught? No, because— Doesn't say. But anyway, uh, side note on there. We were talking about beforehand how Daniel would pray three times a day. That was the typical yeah, way it still of, is. Many Jewish people uh, will— in the morning, as the sun rises, they'll they'll begin their day by praying uh, the specific sets of prayers and blessings. Uh, when I flew to Israel last time, uh, it was really interesting to me. You know, as the as the plane flew into the sunshine, loads of, of men and women got up from their seats and put on their uh, their prayer shawls and welcomed the day in prayer. I think Daniel would have been very familiar with that part of the plane ride, probably not the plane ride part, but the, the, <laughs> the greet, the daylight with, with blessing the, the creator God. And it just, it makes me chuckle when I read through this because you can just tell 
the the human element of these guys where they are so proud that their trap has worked. If you if you go down through uh, some of the verses, starting in verse 12, they came near and said, this is just after the king had signed the decree, they came near and said before the king concerning the adjunction, O king, that's the way I read it, O king, <laughs> did you not just sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions did you do that like how how much sarcasm is in that like hey don't you remember signing that you know the king answered the thing stands fast according to the law of medes and persians which cannot be revoked then they answered and said before the king daniel who is one of the exiles of judah pays no attention to you O king or the injunction you have signed but makes his petition three times a day hmm. And you can just tell the smugness in their voice of like, hey, remember when you signed that? You signed that, King? We, You know, they're mm. they're washing their hands of it. We had nothing to do with it. You're the one that signed it. Now you're going to have to deliver the news to Daniel that he's going into the den of lions. Mm. And and so it just it, it shows, again, if you put yourself in the king's position, how he gets the rug pulled out from under him. Yeah. You know, he trusted these guys. Thought and it I think was a Dan idea. brought that up, bro. These are the unintended consequences mm-hmm. of the trap. <laughs> And then all of a sudden, yeah. out from under him, and the king is heartbroken. We mentioned about the king's heart being shown. Even in the children's Bible, it says that he was saddened or he was upset now because mm. he knew what was about to happen. And I'd like to pause there for just a second to to emphasize uh, that point, that your sin doesn't affect you only. It affects those that are around you, those mm-hmm. that have placed their trust in you, those that you love. And I think the king here really quickly gathers that. My inability to sense this trap has resulted in harm for those that I'm here to protect. And, and if I could just give uh, a word of warning to, to all Christians out there, don't fall into the trap of believing that you live and you die to yourself. Everything about your life affects the lives of other people. The words, the way you live your life, the, the actions that you have, your habits, whether you go to church or read your Bible or consistent in prayer, people are watching. And your life is affecting far more than you think that it might. You're a very important person. And I want you to realize that God can use you to either be a blessing or to be a curse. So don't be a curse. Which reminds me of Abraham, right? That's yeah, that was his job. That's our job, too. The way we're supposed yeah. to live. Um, so... The, the question I have that kind Father of wraps Abraham. all this into a bow is you, you notice how the king takes the emotional responsibility for his decision. Which is very grown up of him. He, yeah. He's very distraught. He mm-hmm. understands like, oh, I kind of screwed up with this. But the other guys show no remorse None. for their actions. In fact, they're smug. They're happy. They're like, yeah, this That's what is they awesome. wanted. Right. Yeah. We yeah. win. Right. Right. If you talk about that, when is evil said one day, hey, we won. And then a day or so later, they figured out, oh, no, we lost in the worst yeah, way if, possible. If they had known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Right. Yeah. So it's a similar idea with these. These guys are saying, hey, Daniel's done. We win. We're good. Which is exactly what you should be thinking. Like, in their mind, this is done. It's time for the party. Yeah. He's he's a goner. I mean, he's going to his execution. That's right. And yeah. the, the most... The best way possible to do it at the time, probably. Like, there's zero percent chance. Yeah, this is the, this this is how you get rid of people. This, like, this isn't like sometimes you hear people say, "Well, you know, sometimes people survived. It was just the 
this isn't a miracle. It's just those were nice cats. And no, that's not how it works, man. It's a, a fatal injection in today's society. That's right. I mean, this is no this coming is a, back. This is a miracle. Yes. God is at work. Martin, can I back up a minute? Sure. Do you think Daniel was tempted to pray differently the very first time he prayed, knowing after this document was signed? Do you think he was tempted to pray differently? That's a great question. I, I mentioned earlier, what did Daniel pray? You know, we discussed about how it, there was a certain prayer that was memorized that he would have cited every morning or three times a day. And we kind of made jokes about it beforehand of like, you know, hey, by the way, today, just a little side note, like, do you mind protecting me from lions if that comes up later? Yeah. Or or was it he was steadfast in, in what he believed? Because that that's what he's been his whole life, like we discussed earlier. It's a, it's a very intriguing question. I, I think there's without a doubt he was tempted. I mean, he had to have been tempted not to do it in, mm. in the first place, you know, or or tempted to do it in a place where nobody could see him or, you know, in his head while he's standing next to somebody without any physical representation that he was, was praying. So so if his prayer to God was right, the right uh, right thing to do, the fact that he knew that this was going to have ramifications in his life was irrelevant. Mm-hmm. If it's right for him to pray, he should pray. If this particular prayer, think, I mean, he's 80, some, he's 80 years old at this point. Think how many times he's prayed this prayer in his life. And yet today, when, I, when he prays this prayer today, there could be ramifications that will cost him his life. I, I think, or at least I hope, that in Daniel's mind, he's saying whatever happens to me as a result of me saying this prayer is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. This is what God wants. This is what I'm going to do. If I die as a result, God will, God will, in one way or another, will take care of me. Yeah. And that goes along with the morality question that we had earlier of just because everybody else is saying that it's right or wrong doesn't mean that it's the right or wrong thing. Society doesn't provide morality for us. God does. But doing what's right is always right. Mm-hmm. If he was tempted to do something different, that wouldn't have been right, mm-hmm. and by definition, that would have been wrong. And it, to me, that takes me right out of Daniel's shoes because I think it was thrown around earlier. You know, God hasn't asked us to go up against a lion's den, and I kind of hope He doesn't, <laughs> because that would be terrifying, right? Everybody wants to be the hero until it's time to do hero things, like do what is right when you're facing. The lion's den. But, but the point is we shouldn't even think about the lion's den. We should think about what's right, mm-hmm. doing what's right. If it results in a lion's den, it does. So but it. I'm not going to let the lion's den determine what I do today. Mm-hmm. If, that, if, that, if the fear of the lion's den causes him to pray different or not pray. It's a different story. Then Daniel lost, God lost, these guys won. Let's close the book and go home. But Daniel said, no, I'm going to do what I know is right in God's eyes. I'm not even going to think about the lion's den. The lion's den is irrelevant. As, as odd as that is to say, as odd as it sounds probably, any, any ramifications of what I do for God that is right is, is irrelevant. But it's correct because, like we were talking about earlier, we are kind of joking about it, how he should have added in a little extra of like, Here's my normal prayer, but also protect me from any lions. That, that's human nature to do that's, that. That's what I would have done. I mean, to be honest, that's if you're thinking of 
the Almighty God and, and mm. asking for help, that would be the first thing I would be praying about if I knew that was what was coming. Remember when Jesus uh, invited Peter to get out of the boat and come to him while he was walking on the water, and Peter did mm-hmm. <laughs> for a couple steps? Why did it only last a couple steps? He lost the faith. So if, if, if Daniel had lost the faith, if Daniel had started thinking about the lion's den more than thinking about his daily prayer, he would have gone sideways in his prayer. He either wouldn't have prayed, he would have hidden, or something would have been different. As it is, I think Daniel said, uh, the, the, the ramifications of me praying, something that I've done every day for 80-some years, means nothing to me today. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. If it results in, the, in my death, so be it, as long as I'm doing what God wants me to do. Mm. If God's happy, I'm happy. So I use the Lord's Prayer quite a bit in my own personal prayer life. And one of the major reasons for that is is not because I can't think of anything to pray on my own, but I, I love to pray Scripture. Uh, but it, it also, for myself, I, I struggle with depression. I struggle with self-worth a lot. Uh, I'm not always sure that God really loves me. I have no problem believing he loves you guys, but like the idea of God loving me is hard. And I, and I know that those are tools that Satan uses to beat me, and they're effective ones. And so I go back to the words of God, and I, and I claim them. I, I hold on to them, and I pray them. And oftentimes, as I go through the prayer, which doesn't change, it's, it is what it is. It, it's the words of Scripture, but I wrap my own thoughts around particular lines. Uh, Our Father, which art in heaven, and I'll kind of in my mind pause and say, you know, Lord, I know that you're in heaven and this world that I'm in does not feel like heaven. And I know that you've been with me. My, and, I, and, and so I use the structure like bones and I, and I wrap the flesh of my worries and my prayers. Your kingdom come into, you know, traffic with me today, God, because I do not love any of these people driving around me or my worries or fears, um, you know, and, and I. And I, they're not the same, but they are. The, the structure of my prayer is the Lord's Prayer, but the content of it and the things that my mind is meditating on change depending on what I'm going through. Um, and that's not the only way to pray. That's how I personally do it a lot of times. Uh, there's a great book by C.S. Lewis called Letters to Malcolm, uh, which isn't a very long book. It was the last thing he ever wrote before he died, which is on the topic of prayer. Um, but I think that there's tremendous uh, creative expression in prayer. And it doesn't always have to be freestyle. Uh, I was kind of brought up to think that. Like, if you're praying a written prayer, then... It doesn't count. doesn't count. That one's not yours. Someone <laughs> said that first. And instead, like, I'm praying with somebody. I, I'm just like I would pray together in a large crowd and pray with somebody. When I pray a, a written prayer, I'm, I'm going along with the same thought. Uh, the, the guy that comes to mind when I read this, this text here in Daniel is Polycarp, who's one of the early church fathers. And he was told, you know, what harm is there in denying Christ as he was about to die? And uh, he said, let me, I think I got it right here. It says, uh, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And I've always thought that in that moment, Polycarp was like Daniel. He was holding on to the kingdom that is yet to come, and yet is. 
and another idea just popped in my head like Daniel's done this for 80 years or 70 years 60 years however long and yet he understands that the one that he does today was probably the most important in his life you know mm-hmm. he, he's prayed this all the time and he didn't lose the the weight of what he was doing he didn't yeah. he didn't lose the importance of what he was it didn't come it didn't become mundane for him to the point where he's just and that's unusual. And, and here again, I think this is because you're supposed to see in Daniel the, the perfect example. Mm. This is mankind at their best. And some days you'll be this, and a lot of times you won't. Uh, sometimes you may more resemble, like you said earlier, those scheming politicians instead of Daniel. But God loves you anyway. His death on the cross is, I mean, he was crucified between two thieves, uh, people who were taking lives and things that weren't theirs. And, and you have God in the middle offering salvation. And so the story is very similar here. You, you have a beautiful image of what you could be on both sides. Mm-hmm. And then you have the figure in the middle who has to choose. Which of these am I? And that's a perfect segue into my final question, I guess, to spark up a debate, which you kind of started earlier, was uh, I mentioned the king takes the emotional responsibility. Like he understands mm. the decision that he's made has now caused problems, whereas the the politicians are like happy for what they have done. So who is at fault in the story is my question. Is it the king's fault because he got tricked into the story? If you relate it to the garden, Right, it's Adam and Eve's fault that we are the way we are. Mm. You could say mainly Adam, but it was the serpent that did the tempting. In this story, is it the king's fault because he ultimately made the decision which caused the harm, or is it the serpent or the politician's fault for enabling that decision to be made? Yeah, my answer would be yes. And I feel like there was a little bit of a it's both an either or going on between you there for a second. Oh, uh, I. I get worked up about the Bible. I love Dan. Dan's right all the time. Dan has an amazing ability to see the application of Scripture. And I tease him about this all the time, but it's true. Uh, he is able to, to see into the text, and his heart immediately runs towards, how do I get closer to Jesus? What can I do to pursue Jesus more? Uh, my heart really runs towards the interpretation of text. And I want to sit in, in the presence of God in the words because I think God wrote it. I think this is the, the spirit of God moved these men and they wrote. And so by sitting there, I think that that's so I, I learn from Dan all the time. And I'm 100 percent a Dan listener fan. Uh, and so I don't want anyone to think I was after him about anything. But uh, no, I'm trying to spark the controversy. Well, I'm I trying want, to put it out, man. I, I want to keep it going. <laughs> no, I think that Dan's right. Uh, I also think that I'm right, uh, and I don't know if that's, that's not surprising. fair or not, but I, I wouldn't have that opinion if I didn't think it. Uh, <laughs> but Daniel is um, the good guy. He's without flaw. The, the bad things happen to him aren't his fault. And so the king is responsible because it's his act. Without him, this doesn't happen. He causes the danger. He chooses. He should know better, and he doesn't. He can't tell a wise choice from a dangerous one. And the other guys are snakes. They just are. Everything about them is 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 creepy, and their end is death. They're eaten by the lions themselves. So just in the way that we tend to give Eve a pass when she ate the fruit, we should give Darius a pass. 
I don't think so. But I do That's my that was my thought process uh, I think, too. Is, I think you know, Darius evil. is deceived, right? When we talked about the fall of man, we it said, doesn't say that though. It, it what you get here. I, I refuse to believe that Darius didn't know that it was a bad idea to steal from the gods. I don't know that it was presented to him that way. Though it was though. We've decided no one's going to pray to any god except for you for thirty days. So it's not forever, just 30 days. Yeah, dude, I'm telling you, this is a bad idea yeah. from the get-go. Yeah, I agree, it's and a bad idea. anybody who was reading this in the ancient world knew, boy, that's a stupid thing to do, and the king is unable to tell the difference between an obviously dangerous thing. But it stems from the evil in the hearts of the men. But that, was it Eve in the same spot as the king? No. He, the, the king here kind of is, is Adam and Eve. He, he, he symbolizes the... the he can go either way. Because the king is deceived. What we yeah. talked about in the fall was Eve is deceived, Adam chose, right? That was the, the best one-liner from that. Mm-hmm. I feel like the king is deceived, right? The same way that Eve was. But you're saying he's a, a mixture of the two. I'm saying he's a mixture of the two. I'll tell you what. How about we get some comments on the podcast down there? Yeah, that'd be good. Uh, if you guys think Dan's right or I'm right or Martin's right or whoever <laughs> – what I'm saying is this. I think uh, I obviously think Seth is right because he, he is the voice of reason here. I, I think, let me try to say this well, that the king is in the place of both Adam and Eve. I don't think it's a one-to-one correspondence between one of the two. The king should know better. He is a king. Do, do you think he learned that right afterwards? So the next morning when he went and found out Daniel's still alive, remember what he said then? Let's all follow Daniel's God. Mm. it's as if he said i don't have a god or didn't have a god or i thought i was god now he's saying hey daniel's god's the guy we got yeah and i think that that shows a great deal of maturity but i don't think you would elect a guy into or he couldn't become king if he had no ability to tell the difference between a good idea and a bad one but even back up a little bit dad is in verse 16 may your god whom you serve continually deliver you so that's even before he goes into lion's den he's saying like uh, okay He's Your God seen is going to have to help through you. this act, through Daniel's faithfulness. He sees God, and that I think is the purpose of the story. Whether or not the king is deceived or not, the actions of the king are evil. They are. He doesn't get a pass. You don't get to say, you know, well, he made shooting that guy sound like a good idea. When the Nazis were put on trial, and they said, you know, well, Hitler made it sound so nice. You know, nobody gets a pass because you thought you were doing a good thing. If the act is evil, it's evil. And so Eve is tricked, that's true, and Adam chooses to do wrong, and that's true. Which of these is Darius? I think he's both. He should know better and doesn't. He's a picture of, I think, typical human nature. As long and that's as, what I'm trying as to say. As long as that's life's going phrase. good, I don't need God. I, I've often referred to it as yeah. a uh, get-out-of-jail-free card you keep in your back pocket. As long as life's going good, I don't need God. You know, stand down. But as soon as I get in trouble, I'm going to pull that card out and say, okay, now I need you, God. And I think that's kind of what Darius is, is seeing or we're seeing in him, that when he found him, when he realized he had been trapped or was in a trap or when he realized he was in a situation that he didn't like and he couldn't do anything about it, now I'll call out to God. Yeah, and and that's I think that's human nature, and I think that's the purpose of him. I, I mean, not the purpose of him. He was a real person. This really happened, but the story is set up in a way that you're supposed to think about yourself. How would I respond to this? Can I tell the difference between a good idea and a bad idea? 
Am I responsible for harm that's been done to other people? And if you are, take responsibility and confess that sin. I don't think it's a good habit to just say to God, you know, well, Lord, this happened, but it wasn't my fault. The woman that you gave me uh, gave me this apple or this fruit and mm-hmm. I ate. Uh, trying to justify your actions in the eyes of God is it is is, is normally a dangerous path to, to tread down. And the king does in the, the book of Daniel with a nice decree um, when he says, I make a decree that in all my royal dominion people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall never end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. That's gospel. So it, it, there is a definite change in the king mm. that, that he yeah, understands preaching, yeah. what yeah. he had happened. But uh, before we end, I, I kind of want to end with this because I think it just drives in the point of who this Daniel character really was. Because uh, if you go up to verse, uh, I believe it's 20, about midway through, the king declared to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? And then Daniel said to the king, what? Hey, king, I hate you for throwing me in this lion's den overnight. Right, and I didn't vote for you anyway. Then Daniel says to the king, O king, live forever. Yeah. In other words, like, I hope to see you in heaven with me one day, mm. king, the same way I hope to see and, everybody. And Dan mentioned this earlier, or, or maybe it was you. I can't remember one of the listeners here, but the idea is Daniel's been around lions a very long time. Mm-hmm. Some of them are humans. Uh, the idea here is the kingdom of God that Daniel is part of is in the lion's den as much as it is in party politics and in the king's chamber. He's been in danger ever since he left Jerusalem, and it's the hand of God that has protected protected and cared for him. And the thing is, if you put yourself in Daniel's shoes, literally, in the lion's den, it says that there was a, a stone brought over to seal it shut, mm. right? Which is some more symbolism probably for another guy that got put in a tomb for a little while. Yeah, um, But it's... It's sealed shut. So even if the lions are not even there, it's mm. not a very fun way to spend a night, right? In a no, completely no. dark dungeon, basically. So if I was coming out of this dungeon and the king says, hey, did you survive? I hope. I would probably say some stronger words that only had four letters in them to this guy. Like, what are you doing to me, buddy? Like, you could have prevented this. We could have swept this under the rug, right? Mm. You're a powerful man. Instead, he praises the king. He says, "O King, live forever! Like you are my worst enemy at this point in time because you put me through this." And he comes out praising him, saying, "I hope that you live forever." Do you suppose that's what God wanted him to say? Do you suppose that's what God wanted him to think, or 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 do you think that was the reaction God would want? Do you think that pleased God that that Daniel said that? I would think, I mean, if God wanted Daniel to act or do a certain thing, He sends an angel to stand next to. Daniel all night hmm. to, to keep the, the lion's mouth shut. I think he could relay a message to Daniel saying, hey, this is how we should act. This is the proper way of doing things. And Daniel does it, right? So I think that's, yeah, that's the way that he wanted him to react. Yeah. Hmm. We often don't react that way. <laughs> like you say, I wouldn't was, have. if it was me, I'd have come out <laughs> breathing fire, you know. But So, so did, did Daniel have faith was it his faith that saved him in contradiction to his works 
Is what you're saying? No. What what he does or just is it because Daniel was such a man of faith? Is that why he survived the lion's den? I I think he had faith that God would protect him because he was doing what God wanted him to do. Does that answer the question? Did I skirt the question like you guys normally do? I don't skirt questions. I walk strongly around them. Yeah. So I, I, I guess my I've been thinking about this a little bit, but I, I don't know that it was specifically Daniel's faith that that allowed him to survive the lion's den. I think I think Daniel I, I would imagine that he had to go through some of the same emotions that any of us would have gone through being thrown into this den. I mean, it's probably dark. He probably can hear the lions but can't see them, or I don't know what it's like. The anxiety that he must have felt as he was going in, not knowing how it was going to end up. I think he trusted God to do something. I think he, I think his loyalty to God didn't waver. Uh, I think his devotion to God was as strong as ever. I don't know if you roll all that together, if, that, if that's a definition of faith. I think he trusted God to... I think he trusted God to glorify himself, glorify God. If God's glorified in this, it don't matter if I live or die. I which, think that's what Daniel's mindset Which was like. your point earlier. If this, if praying leads to my demise right. for the glorification of God, that's what I want to happen. That's which the is key. seen perfectly in the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus prays, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Which Daniel may have prayed. I'm sure. In, <laughs> I'm thinking earlier. he did. And, but then he prays, you know, nevertheless, not not my will, but but thine, that I, I'm willing to go, Father, and to bear the sins of the world. In the Garden of Eden, you have the two trees. You have the tree of life, and you have the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And in the background, in the heavens, you have God, omnipotent, the creator of all things, the king of the universe. And then you flash forward to the cross and you have two trees, both of whom have thieves hanging on them. And in the center, you have the God of the universe, the same God who spoke the world into being, now wrapped in the sin of mankind and dying for them. God is with us in the lion's den or at work that Jesus knows that you're a sinner. He knows that. He's already cried out from the cross, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. The idea that God is waiting for you to get a faith level high enough to access some super cool superpowers, and he just can't do anything until you help him along, God is greater than you. Follow him. Be loyal. Be loving. And let God be God. Let him do his work in you. When you know to do good, do it. Can you see the difference between right and wrong, between a good idea and a bad idea? And then what I, is what I see in the story of Daniel in the lion's den is this call to wisdom, a call to loyal love of God. Seth, that's a wrap. That was good. I, I think, didn't mean to argue with you, 